So good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today, I have Mr. Kyle Burnett. He is the executive producer of the podcast, How to Disaster, which is part of the group After the Fire, which was rebranded from the name Rebuild North Bay, an organization that started to help people recover after wildfire disasters. So Kyle, you are a communications expert. You're a journalist. Is it as bad as we think it is? It, yeah, I mean, let's let's get into this, Wendy. Thank you, first of all, for, for hosting me here today. I don't think it is. You know, um, environmental environmental issues are something that we're still trying to figure out in our in our mind and our imagination how how big and how complicated and how impactful they actually are. And these these situations we're just beginning to understand. And so. Um, it's a huge, it's a huge area to think about and it's, it's scary, but I think there is some, there is some of this doom and gloom that really haunts our media side and coming from my side where I've been in part, in part of this policy side, journalists and and production all my life, basically you get inundated with bad news, but you know, I've, I've come, I've come back to working with a GIS and that's a geographic information systems. We'll be talking about this a little bit, but it's it, it's about data and looking at data that we actually get from the scientific community. There are some there are some moments that say these things are potentially bad for our world, but also we don't actually know the future of how we can adapt to it, how we can how we can build around it. We can even change some of our economic system to support the climate and support the ecosystem. So. I really believe in, in our adaptability and that it might seem bad, but we're, we're working really hard. There's so many good people working in this, in this whole sector that's wide reaching across the world and we to are make a difference. Just, yeah. just to back, just so people understand, um, geographic information systems, I think satellite imagery. So we take pictures from space. We can see how the, you know, how the earth looks and what things are changing, yeah. weather patterns, jet streams, things like that. So this helps us learn what's getting damaged, what's thriving, what's not working, and remote sensing, very similar technology. Absolutely. Um, so you're, you're actively working with those technologies to learn how to make things better. Exactly. I mean, like primarily, I'm, I'm, I, as you mentioned, I'm the host of this podcast, but I got into this program uh, to work with my, with my current group after the fire to do disaster recovery because I've been part of a research unit in the Sonoma County, California area looking at wildfire specifically. So um, going through scientific studies, looking at data sets, and then imparting that data set onto a, a computer program, which is what uh, I, I said is GIS, but there's a whole gamut of programs you can use to use this data, put it onto the, the program, and then you can see it on the map. So you can actually look at where fire perimeters are, where vegetation types are, and yeah, so through the through the course of my postgraduate life and and into to becoming a young professional, now I've I've been using data to see how the scientific community you know they, they do extensive research that I'm not capable of particularly accomplishing on the field, but because of their rigorous peer review and also the accessibility of their data, they allow other people to use this and distill it for. Uh, for policy, for people in our community, so that we can actually understand what's going on with our ecosystem. And it's an incredible world to get into because once you crack, 
once you crack into it, the whole uh, scope of the world's data sets become part of your thought process. How can I visualize here? Think Google Maps on a more scientific, you know, well, you know that's structure, a right? Point, so people can yeah. understand what this looks like. But you can also take that GIS or geographic information system data mm -hmm. and look historically. That's correct. Past, yeah. Present and then hopefully fix the future. And that's that's. That's one of the, the greatest things for me is that as as we've seen some of these stories come out, the environmental problem and the environmental crisis, I mean, everyone gets this this nervousness, this anxiety from our 21st century of, of what's going to happen next. But we don't really know that much about the past. We have lots of we have lots of indications, but it's hard to get that direct data that we have access to now. And even today, our our, our we have gaps in data especially in the deep ocean, out in, out in the wildlands, you know, it's hard to get access to some of this data. So we're working to a better, more connected uh, progress of this data. It's really fascinating because once we kind of get the clearer picture, we can really move forward with even, yeah. even more force than we're doing today. So, I love the yeah. fact you brought up um, deep ocean. Yes. Because, you know, my background being geology, geochem, my geochem professor, who I worked with my, my master's thesis on, is an uh -huh. oceanographer, and he would spend four months out of the year in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a tiny little boat, basically dumping buckets over the edge and collecting sediments just to see what kind of rocks were down there, what kind of sediments, so they could collect this, the chemical data. Not just identify what kind of rock, but the chemistry of it, because the chemistry can tell you a lot, you know, how it would, you know, what conditions it was deposited mm -hmm. under, um, maybe even temperature. CO2, I mean, ice cores will tell us CO2. Yeah. So there's a ton of data and we're just now getting inundated. Yeah, and think about that was that was just 30, 40 years ago. That was the type of technology we were running with back in the 70s yeah. and 60s for most countries. Now, most most countries are getting into the, the process of using either their, their universities or other high level institutions to, to mm -hmm. have computer data, data that's being surveyed by professionals or in the deep sea, you know, I heard this crazy story where there's, there's this submersible group that it, it, it eludes me right now. It's like, it's like a Nova. I have to look it up. Maybe I'll send it to you later, but they're sending submersibles down to scan the seafloor to make a more complete seafloor map because currently, no <laughs> currently like satellites can get through some of the seafloor, some of the, pardon, not, pardon, not, pardon, not the seafloor, the ocean, the yeah. water itself. But we can't get below 200 meters or so. The signal becomes so distorted. Think about Wi-Fi through your house. This is on an even grander scope of, of interference. But they're sending submersibles down to map the floor better. The submersibles come up, transmit that to satellites, and then they go back down. They recharge solarly. It, it's like a it's a monitoring system that's that's quite novel. And that's very cool. I, didn't, I mean, and, I knew they were doing um, deep ocean. Um, called bath, bathymetry. Bathymetry, yeah. And the way I tell people understand what that's shocking. Is, think, of, think of a bathtub. It's underwater. <laughs> so bathymetry, bathtub, it's just the mind games I play so I remember things. Exactly. But yeah, we know very little about deep ocean. And a lot, you know, all of our climate, you know, everything starts with the greenhouse gases and the excessive heat. Everything's warming. And then that changes our oceans. They get ocean right. acidification. You get warmer water. Then the, the currents change on the jet stream. Everything's connected. There's so much connected, yeah. <laughs> and that's what people don't get. We're all connected. So data and what you're doing and communications, I'm going to just actually 
jump forward just, to communication. Yeah, we can pivot. Let's do it. You are, you know, you're a journalist, you're a communications expert. Mm -hmm. You are spreading this message. You are actively working in this. So tell us about um, things that you're doing in addition to After the Fire, in, in addition to um, How to Disaster the Podcast, just getting yeah. that messaging out there. Yeah, well, well first of all, I, I try to really level my mindset because I, I, I think we really get impacted by this. I mean, with with pandemic stuff, which is still currently going on as we're recording, and it could be going on for longer as well as climate problems. I mean, we have it. We're having this this situation in our society today where there's so much information being thrown at people. I'm I'm trying personally to to take a breath, and yep. there might be some terrible stories out there. And in fact, we are doing damage to our planet. So we have to think about how to live better. I mean, when I'm messaging in public or talking to people. I'm trying to have a more calm sense about this because if we're if we're making decisions when we're really in that moment of insanity, it's going to come to a bad conclusion. So, other than after the fire, I'm also working, like I mentioned, with a, a group that does vegetation management and and forestry. So, wildfire is a really big uh, issue here in Sonoma County. For those of you that are watching, this is this is an area that has rolling hills very steep mountain cliffs also near the coast it's kind of wine country the landscape's very it's varied i should say yeah. there's a lot of different things happening here yeah. when the fire when a fire does ignite whether by uh you know some sort of human caused thing which is the more common thing or like last year there was there was lightning, lightning strikes. the wind from the north blows into this county coming from oregon down over the other sierra mountains into this area it generates really incredible wildfire. So it's we've had some really destructive fires here. That's why I got recruited to be to join this area because I've I've had some experience working with native tribes to do oh. to do um, cultural burning and prescribed burning, and also having some data background. Kind of a weird mix of tools. But this group hired me called Taking Action for Living Systems, and I, I do some some part time work for them also related to You're kind of like the data unicorn you've got a really yeah it's <laughs> it's really funny because you know i i know i'm talking a lot but yeah in my past I've, I've been i've been doing i did journalism in my past and i worked in television however i didn't really feel the calling of this is my right place because i was strictly doing um control room work got it broadcast work and I didn't feel connected to the the natural world, which is where I find a lot of my solace and I, I gain energy from being in nature. I find that I'm more peaceful. I find beauty in it. You know, there's so many things that my, I personally enjoy just about being outside. You know, I play music. I, I, I gain inspiration from listening to the wind and stuff like this, even oh, though yeah. it sounds ridiculous. But No, I do that too. <laughs> I mean, the forest after a rainstorm. Yeah. But just sitting in the woods, because I grew up in Michigan, I did a lot of camping as a kid, um, not with my parents. They did not care for the camping thing, which was cool stuff. <laughs> and then I became a geologist where I pretty much slept in the woods every single weekend looking at rocks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a calling. So, you, you know what I mean? There's there's this calling we have. And I think as we're dealing with a lot of our, our natural work world today where we're sitting at computers uh, kind of like this vis-a-vis -vis. but yeah we we have this need to to express ourselves in a, in a more open for environment you know and so 
kind of a weird jack of all trades life. I've gone through different avenues and I've found my way to the environmental sector. I feel more at peace now that I am actually working with organizations that have this thinking in their um, their business model as oh, part of their message. Yeah. And um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, I worked in New York and Boston and downtown mm -hmm. LA. You know, you get in that cube farm and you kind of yeah. yourself off from being outside. And I was the type of person that would get into the office at 7 and leave at 6.30 at night. So I never saw the sun. Bad mistake. <sighs> New I York. Yeah. No, ki no kidding. But yeah, you need, you need to get away. You need to get out. And yeah. I think when, you know, with the shutdown, the beneficial thing was, people got out of the office and yeah. they were able to be home and they were able to exactly time and go for a walk. We couldn't go to restaurants. We couldn't go out and do things. So people actually took walks. They went, you know, I knew people that would say, yeah, I walked about 10 miles today because I felt like it. I'd have to do. Okay. <laughs> so That's exactly what I'm talking about. Just, you know, we have opportunity. We have opportunity to, to get out into nature and, for me, even though now I'm still working with technology and I'm I'm part of this box, I, I really do get out and I do study our landscape out here. And and even though I haven't lived here too long, you know, this is a beautiful area. I, I really appreciate the natural world. And so when I am able to give back my own energy some way, this makes me feel better. And, and, and I feel like in the long run, I'm aiding to our scientific community to positive messaging about the environment and not using scare tactics and yep. not using overblown um, messaging to get people to feel like their arm is being bent behind their back to do something yes. when it comes to environmental concerns, you know, that's not how we should be handling it. We should be Thank you. slowly integrating this into the way we live so that our society produces less waste so that we reuse what we do create. And that we don't use all of our other resources on our planet. So 400 years, 300 years down the line, you know, our ancestor or our, our progeny way down the line are, are having major struggles and have to re-answer this question. We have the power today. We do. We have so many smart people and incredible, incredible influences that I've met. On, and I am just a small part of this world. But still, we have incredible power as a species to make changes. You've said so much in the past two minutes. There's a lot to process. So first of all, I mean, the whole reason for this webcast was no shaming, no blaming, every little bit helps. Yeah. That's exactly what you just said. Don't yell at each other. Don't shame each other. Let's try to fix it. And every little bit, even if it's a little change in your own lifestyle, will mm -hmm. have a massive effect later on. Yeah. And then when people talk about, oh, well, you know, they're not, they don't care for solar or wind or hydrogen. My my response now, because I used to get it used to be a trigger for me to pick a fight, mm -hmm. and now I just say, "Do you love exhaust fumes? Could you explain to me what you love about exhaust fumes? Because <laughs> I'd love to know about that." So again, it's like the whole messaging in a positive yeah. format, positive externalities, not negative ones. So that's, that's a good point. It's a good point to make, and and currently we're we're kind of in this area where we're seeing some of our negative externalities of the past, for example, yeah. plastic use, right? Okay. Plastic is, was hailed and, and actually is one of the most influential things we've ever invented. Yep. And it's, it's absolutely wild how much we use on a daily basis, but Everything. the wonder material is actually causing problems in our ecosystems later because it, it sticks around forever and it's 
nigh indestructible to natural processes, you know, so it's, um, well, it was cheap it's, and easy. It's cheap and easy. And <laughs> that's why we did it. <laughs> and I mean, everything, even, even you see it in my background. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm living in environment, trying to live in environmental life, but I have a plastic pin right here, you know, but we have to try to, we have to try to think like, is this, yeah, is this the real, is this our real best pin that we can create? You know what I mean? Like we can, we can actually do this better if we think through it. Well, not only that, and I've got a little wind going on here. I have the windows open because it's such a beautiful day. But um, funny you should say the pen thing, because yeah. all of our pens now are plastic. Everything's plastic, plastic, plastic. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the way our grandparents did things. Exactly. A refillable pen. Fountain, <laughs> pen. fountain pens were awesome. A little messy. I have one. I have one in my other room. They're awesome. Right? I mean, they just write beautifully. And, you know, just the little things, like people are talking about, um, you know, when plastic Bic razors, you just buy mm -hmm. them, they're cheap, they're disposable. Well, let's go back to snapping on the safety razor back to, you know, what my parents would use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of th people think we need to think forward, forward, forward. Great. But maybe we could take a few ideas from the past. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and a lot of this other stuff we reuse by necessity, you know, yeah. and yeah. that's, that's the type of thing that I, I'm, I'm trying to hold on to is that I'm, I'm trying to reduce my, my amount that I'm purchasing that I could be yep. reusing if I have the option to. Uh, a good analogy or anecdote, if you will, is that I have a really old vehicle right now. I have a 1997 car, and it's the only car I've ever owned. Definitely has problems. <laughs> it has decent emissions, thank thank goodness. Otherwise, I'd get rid of it. But it's um, me buying another car is contributing to all of that extra oh, yeah. purchasing. I could buy a used one and keep the whole cycle going. But yeah, it's like... I'm trying to resist purchasing something that um, will be a huge life choice for me. If I can keep this old car alive for 30 years, nearly 20 years. I'm glad you mentioned the you know consumer what I mean? because yeah. for the past 20 years or so, well, even longer than, I would say probably for the past 30 years, all we talked about was buying more, having more, comparing yeah. ourselves to others, who has what. And I, you know, I was guilty of it. We've all been guilty of it. Trust and, me. You know, have the newest thing. Now I just, I've, I honestly have stopped caring. I have nothing to prove to anybody. And it's like, so I'm just going to, I mean, the shopping was hard for me. God, did I love shopping. I had to cut that off because I was buying stuff that I was simply throwing away. There's no point. You know, donating it isn't really solving yeah. the problem because donation centers were just shipping it overseas and dumping it because it was too much. Yeah. A lot of people didn't realize that. There's and there's a lot of stuff that people donate also that is not necessarily you shouldn't shouldn't really be donated. Sometimes oh. sometimes in disasters people send expired expired food or otherwise unusable stuff and a lot of that stuff does go to the landfill or or is disposed of. They have to follow their guidelines of oh, yeah. of certain donation practices and donation centers that are doing goods rather than um, like uh, like like furniture or goodwill right that aren't selling yeah. food like just random household goods that's a little yeah, different I, but yeah it's yeah. i think you can learn a lot from working um at a food donation shelter mm -hmm. yeah i've done that me too one yeah. thing that blew my mind was um they couldn't accept formula that yeah. was a no no and they couldn't accept any canned goods that had a dent in it that's right 
And you yep. know, a lot of people think that, oh, I'm just going to clear out my pantry. Oh, this is dented. This is older. I'm just going to donate it, do the right thing. And it's like, yeah. you, you can't, they, they can't use it. And it gets, it gets thrown away. There's so much waste. There's a lot of that. I ha had many stories of people bringing in boxes of stuff and like half of it or more was expired or unusable according to their policy. Yep. Now, this is another side to, to get into our, our own um, economic, you know, our consumption where we're purchasing things we're actually not using, right? We, I know we had mentioned, we had talked about this before a little bit about changing our economic model, but, you know, oh, yeah. I think working with certain aspects of our society to make them a little bit more, you know, robust rather than produce as much as we can. Make it better. Make it <laughs> make it better so that we actually use this use the thing. There's always this mindset that drives me crazy though is people stock up in the event of a of yep. a catastrophe, but they actually never go back to their their stocks to use those. They just they keep those cans or or, or other dried goods. Oh, I'm gonna save these for I'm gonna save these for an emergency, but then we never eat them during normal oh, day. You know, bad. so they end up all going bad. Because yep. a disaster doesn't happen when you had maybe planned it or you purchased it during a, a, a hurricane when your power went out for two days, but ended up keeping 40 cans or 20 cans around for another two years, you know? Yeah, like we, we, have, <laughs> we have to, like, get through this. Like, it's not just our emergency fund. Like, this is actually food that people around the world would be really help, would really enjoy to have, you know? Absolutely. And we're just keeping it in storage. And yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, again, with the excessive consumerism and, and overbuying, mm -hmm. overproducing, and people say, oh, you know, growing up, children are starving, finish your plate. That's not helping other people. Perhaps yeah. overeating. That's a very guilt uh, response. You oh, know, yeah. that's a shaming response. Eat your food because other people are, are starving. That's, yeah. that, that always bugged me with my mom. <laughs> You know, I was fortunate my mom didn't do that to me, but my friend's mom told and I'd be like, say what now? How is it? <laughs> I mean, always, even as a little kid, I'm At like, a young age, you're already realizing it. That's great. Yeah. It's like, can I send it? Can I wrap up my own? Because, again, you know, the over-serving, um, portion control and yeah. over-consumption and everything, you know. every And it's, again, that chain reaction when you think about people say we shouldn't eat meat in moderation. Yeah. And, you know, when people talk about we have too many um, livestock, reduce the consumption. You know, exactly. steak used to be like this special occasion thing when I was growing up. And now people are kind of everyday food. And it's, there's no need for that. There's no point. It's, it's really it's really crazy that the difference between people that are like eating meat every day. Like I, I've, I've lived in I was born in Oklahoma. Like, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. I've lived in, lived in Texas, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Barbecue capital, and, and I am not a vegetarian, but I am definitely limiting my meat consumption for the past four or five years. I, I used to be red-blooded meat all the time, yep. barbecue all the time, and amazing. But and no. it's really good. Yeah, I mean, when done right, absolutely. it's crazy. Actually, like when our 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 taste buds go bonkers with some of this thing, some of this stuff. But I'm trying to bring it bring it down a little bit, but yeah, it's those those folks that I know that I still am friends with. If you if I told them that they should reduce, they would be like, they would just immediately label me as oh, an yeah. environmentalist, just write me off. I'm like, I'm not saying stop, but you know, just think a little, you know, maybe not, maybe not the focal point. 
and also, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the labels because everybody, you know, I've been yeah. the environmental person for many, many years and tree mm -hmm. hunter or environmentalist or whatever you want to call me. It's like, okay. Um, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's, I'm not, you know, I, I don't understand. I mean, just to cut it short, I am not, I don't understand the labels. It's I don't understand why it's so pejorative to love a tree, you know, to have, to have a, the trees are great. They give us so much. They give us oxygen and shade. Awesome. <laughs> they, and if you're not into that, they increase your property value, you know, <laughs> they do. Um, they yeah, smell like nice. They, sometimes they flower. Oh yeah. After yeah. rain, big fan of after the rains. Oh, but the rain. yeah. Um, so we're going to have a conversation. This is awesome. This is what I love about doing these things because I learned a ton. And one of the things I love about you is you actually know the science. You're like a real data scientist guy who also does mm -hmm. So we have that kismet going on. But um, if you could relay one or two pearls of wisdom to people, what would you choose to tell people? Yeah, relating to, relating to environmentalism is a, is like a few things that I'd like to I'd like to mention on this because number one, uh, every little every little bit does count. You know, it, it's not just it's not just a cliche saying. You know, changing changing a, a part of your life and holding to it um, is not supposed to be like something you have a guilt every day about. Like, oh, I'm I'm reducing meat one day a week, and. I'm I, I'm eating meat all the other days, and I feel terrible. It's like just just doing one choice in that in that sense is putting your financial um, support in a different company in a different direction, and and that makes a difference. You know, we're only going to really make changes if the current economic structure really balances out because we're putting a lot into fossil fuel generating plants and other things. So if you're thinking about this guilt that you're feeling, try to erase that from your from your from your life. That's not really how it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be hold hold up what you're doing right, you know? If you're going vegetarian but you can't give up eggs, which I've tried to do multiple times. I can't really stop eating breakfast. I love eggs. Like don't don't think that it's the worst thing. It's not the end of the world. It's okay. Like there are other small changes that you're making. There are other things you can focus on. You know, one thing like like plastic. You know, if you if you think a little bit about how you use your plastic, yeah. and and you just separate it into the the correct the correct bin rather than throwing most of it into the trash can, which a lot of us do, throw plastic in the trash can. And that you can do a quick Google search to figure out what goes where. I know it's a little bit extra work on the on our end, but it also does. It does send it to the right place. Then a professional or some other trained person deals with it. So you're helping, you know, you're helping the system flow in that direction rather than being counter to it. And the other part is that we're living in a time of great change. And I think our world specifically and our way of life will be vastly different in 50 years when I'm when I'm near the end of my life. And I'm, I'm 33 right now. When I'm at eight, when I'm 80 years old, I'm projecting that this world will be have It'll have many different changes in the way we actually operate our our waste systems, how we operate our production systems. Yes. So, individual responsibility is really hard to hold on to with, with climate. You know, we only can do so much. And really, true. I was just gonna say, there's no yeah. reason to resist it either. Some people like yeah, I don't, don't resist it. Yeah. 
tiny little changes, you know, very little changes, water bottles and just get a little, get a Brita, yeah. get a little Brita filter thing. Those things are awesome. Um, tiny little changes will have a huge response. Absolutely. And the final point I was getting at here is that our policy and our distribution and our production, I'm, I'm hoping I'm keeping it in my head that within like 80 to hundred years, we're really going to be changing these systems at the top down because there's a lot of good groundwork that has been laid by professionals in the, in the UN from our scientific community, people that do work that's even higher up than me on the scientific ladder, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just someone who can distill data that scientists perform and bring it to the public. I'm kind of this conduit between yeah. the two, but I really respect the institutions and the, and the organizations that are doing a lot of really good work. I mean, they, they work to get grants, they work to pay their people, they work to bring data to the public. In the last 10 years, we have made so much discovery and so much more understanding, you know, drawing, drawing base maps and, and getting information to put onto our Google Earth and other things to bring it to the public. It's incredible. So I would say place faith in ourself. Try not to say humans are inherently always flawed. We have our flaws, but we're working on it. We're, working on it. we're all working on it, you know, so. I'm glad you brought up yeah. that they're, you know, these um, organizations are working on paying people to do these things because yeah. social justice means a proper paycheck. Yeah. Especially what we're seeing now, you know, I'm helping out some recent grads to try to find a job. And not only do they say you have to have experience, which as a recent grad, you really don't, but the salary is well below what it should be. Yes. And these are people, especially people who claim to be working in social justice and you're not paying someone properly. You're not following the rule book of social justice. Exactly. And this is, this is our biggest, this is a, a, the next nut to crack is how we actually get equal compensation for those that deserve it. And also restitution in, in some form for how we use native and ind indigenous lands and other and other places around the world where resources are harvested or power plants are generated are put on low income and and exceptionally you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. <laughs> they have impacts on their life that are more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It seriously just ex escaped me. It's okay. These people, these people that uh, that are at more at risk, more at risk, I guess, is what I was trying to get. There is another word I'm looking for. They're at risk communities, right? So we have a lot of power generation and other things, and we use their yeah. land and and low income housing is built around that. This that is not justice. Yeah. This is not justice in for humanity. We have to have our systems built so that we can put industry in one area and have respectable housing for people. That, yeah, you know, doesn't it give them cancer, right? Yeah, full, full transparency. Exactly. That I'm a huge fan of the transparency, um, especially when people talk, you know, going back to the salary thing, because some of these, you know, one kid in particular that I'm helping out, he's he's got his master's, he's got his bachelor's, he's super smart, and the jobs that he's looking at are, you know, I'm like, don't don't go for that because you'll be pigeonholed in this low-paying job. And some states still require you to disclose your previous salary so they can hold you down to that. And I think that everything should be completely transparent mm -hmm. and housing should be transparent. And any, any um, 
power plant that goes up, any new industry that goes up, you need to disclose what are you making, what's your what's your off gassing going to be, mm-hmm. everything, and no no more secrecy. It doesn't work. We've learned very. We've learned. It took us a long time to learn. Secrecy does not work. And yeah, building on your point of at-risk communities, we have to stop it. Simply put. Yeah, this full stop because this is not fair to those that are are given the chance of life, and and many of us, you know, we realize how precious life is after some crazy climactic event or maybe personal event in your life but really we all we're all very lucky to be here and we have to do what we can to work together we're all the same the same cadre you know we're all humans here living on this planet this is our planet you know yeah there's no longer the well that doesn't affect me so i don't care yeah it affects you Trust that me. that stopped when we started to when we were globalizing and we're i mean we're working together we're not having wars of of like World War Two or back in the War of 18, 1800, 100 year war, we're not fighting for territory the same way. We have our boundaries. I mean, there are some territorial conflicts, of course, but there's some gray areas there. But there's some there's some other areas there. But generally speaking, we're not all imperialistic and getting out there and conquering people in the same in the same way. Where we're trying to work together, we have to go full the full way. We have to. We can't just stop halfway. You know. Exactly. No, these are great points, and I love the fact you're communicating and educating people as well. Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. For people out there, watch his podcast, How to yes. Disaster. It's with the After the Fire people. It's, it's all about wildfires and recovering exactly. and rebuilding. The rebuilding is the most important aspect. Don't, don't do wood houses in fire-prone areas. Bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, and we actually had Wendy on our show, so this is kind of a little crossover episode. You can always you can catch her there. So this was this was a joy to be on here, Wendy. Thank oh, you, and thank an you. insightful conversation. Also, I'm very happy to to get to know you. Oh, more. thank you. That's awesome. I love having you guys on because what you guys are doing is so important. And after the fire, that whole group expanded to 11 states now. That's so right. U.S. West. Moving. That's right. Yeah. So keep going, keep moving. Add in some flood, you're good to go. You'll have the whole country pretty soon. <laughs> I hope I hope that we can help people. That's the real thing is that the yeah. it's not about it's not about how how big our territory is that we're trying to do this to catch a to throw a wider net because yeah. with our current situation we're having more problems and, and unfortunately that's the case. So if we can help some people out there please check us out. We we're all about um you know getting you through the disaster process. Take that breath, yeah. take that time. Please. That to help <laughs> so check out after the fire and how to disaster. Thank you Kyle. Thank you, Wendy. Such a great conversation. So many touchstones. Likewise. So much to learn. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.